The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And I have to say, we've been pleased that many of you have indeed been reaching out to us. <laughs> we made a call out to say, if there's stuff you like on the AI Today podcast, let us know about it. If there's stuff you don't like on the AI Today podcast, let us know about that too, because we are hearing, as we said, all day from people who have stuff to sell. Uh, they would love to get on this podcast because we're in the top three. Actually, we're the number two podcast in AI Today after Lex Friedman's podcast. But uh, you know, that, that other podcast is kind of... He's trying to be the Joe Rogan, I think, of uh, tech podcasts or something. We're still focused entirely on AI and data and making all this stuff work for the current organization. That's why it's called AI Today, right? Um, and it was great to hear from some of you. Some of you have said that you want to hear more about things like uh, automation or autonomous vehicles. Uh, we've actually heard from some of you who want us to talk more about kind of where is AI? Uh, AI in the cloud versus AI on-premise, for example. That's actually, I'm we actually have not talked about that yet. So there's some things we could talk about it. You know, if you are making AI work, so your job is, uh, you know, obviously we, we have project managers in mind because the project, and we'll talk more about that today, actually. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the people who are making all these AI projects work are people who own the projects, right? And are, are responsible for them. Maybe not even at the level and definitely not at the lowest levels, but somewhere in the middle, you know, whether it's project manager by title or by role or what you do. So uh, we are hearing from you and we'd love to keep hearing from you. So please do reach out to us, uh, you know, go to uh, Cognolytica, C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com, or you can go to AIToday.live. Um, you can get there even faster. You can um, email us info at Cognolytica.com uh, or click on the little, there's like a little chat feature there or click on, I think there's a contact form. There's lots of ways you can reach out to us. Trust me, if you want to reach out to us, you can find it. But either way, really thank you all for those who are reaching out. And if you haven't reached out and you want to, we're easy. We, we'll respond to you as quickly as we can, and we'll make sure that you get, if you don't hear from us, let us know too, because we, we try to make sure we that- try to respond to everybody, right? But we have been so happy with uh, the overwhelming response that we have gotten from our listeners. So please, please do continue to reach out and engage. And if this is your first time listening to the AI Today podcast or you're new to our podcast series, welcome, and we're excited that you found us. We have been around now for a number of years. We're coming up on our fifth year in September. We'll have a big, uh, you know, uh, anniversary podcast like we always do to talk, to reflect in the past and continue to look forward into the future. So if this is if this is not your first time, then welcome back. And we encourage everybody to subscribe to AI Today so you can get notified of all our all of our future episodes. We have had a number of series that we've done. I know our AI failure series was incredibly popular. We did that a few months ago. And we'll actually be revisiting that. Uh, because that content was so popular. People always talk about you know, AI successes, but people don't talk about failures nearly as much as they should. There's just as much, if not more, to learn. So we have a lot of great podcasts coming up in our queue. So definitely make sure to subscribe to AI Today. But on today's podcast, we wanted to talk about, you know, it, we, we look at the market. Like Ron said, it's AI Today. It's not uh, you know, AI of yesterday or AI too far in the future. 
And a topic that continues to come up in conversations that we have is around job titles. And now about a decade ago, an article came out uh, saying that data scientists is the sexiest job of the 21st century. And lots of people talk about data science, data scientists. We've written about this. We've had podcasts on it. But we wanted to revisit this topic and say, is this still relevant? What has changed and where, where are we going? Yeah, so specifically uh, in October of, tw- of 2012, so almost exactly 10 years ago, eh, with a couple months to spare, um, there was an article ri- published in the Harvard Business Review called Data Scientist, the Sexiest Job of the 21st Century, written by Tom Davenport and DJ Patel. And it's interesting because we interviewed Tom Davenport on our AI Today podcast. We'll link to that. And he's also presented at some of our events. I know, I think he presented at our Data for AI conference a long time ago. Maybe we've had him back since. Uh, he, we've, we've encountered him a number of times. And if you're not familiar with DJ Patel, DJ Patel was the chief data scientist for the United States federal government back in the Obama administration. So uh, two, two administrations ago, actually well ahead of the curve, um, you know, he was there. And they wrote this, this article to talk about the fact that there was so much demand for understanding data. I think everybody saw the trends around data analysts and the need for it. And they, they wrote this, this article. It's free to, to read. You can, we'll link to it. Um, and, and I think there's some interesting things that came out of it. One, it's been quoted a lot. You'll actually see a lot of references to this article. It's extremely popular, right? Uh, it may have helped even popularize to a certain extent the term data science and data scientists. So I think the author should feel a little uh, credit for that. But there's two interesting notes. It was written by an academic, Tom Davenport, who uh, is a professor at Babson, from what I recall, and DJ Patel has mentioned he was a chief data scientist. He was formerly in industry, and I know Tom has also worked in industry as well. But they come from that academic and uh, you know uh, perspective and government perspective, right? Not necessarily as as employers, right? So they couldn't tell you as like you know you know hiring people that data scientist was a job of the future, just more from their own personal experience. But also the interesting thing is the article as written a decade ago, doesn't mention artificial intelligence even once. Right, which was crazy, right? (laughs) We had to go back and reread this article because we wanted to make sure, you know, and say, okay, this was written now. I mean, like Graham said, a decade ago, which is crazy to think. So we said, what does does that mean? And was AI mentioned? And surprisingly, no. Yeah. So, I mean, you could say that the article was, uh, you know, in some cases, um, maybe self-serving in some ways because, uh, you know, kind of reinforced the author's own uh, perspectives and their own jobs and the importance of what they were doing. But then again, we actually did see some significant growth of the data science job and the data science title over the last, well, bunch of years, right? So there are so many surveys that, that you can go out there and you can look at the, the, the job growth of data science. But we basically have seen, you know, since 2012, which is basically when the needle started on the data science growth, which is pretty much where all the charts start, up until a couple of years ago, we'll talk a little bit about that, the demand for data science and data scientists was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the constant thing that we were hearing was just, and we'll talk about this even more, of how hard it is to, to find good data scientists and 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 the salaries that data scientists would were command, commanding was significant, right? Exactly. So Ron and I and the Cognolytica team uh, run a number of event series. I know some of our podcast listeners do check that out. We have our AI and government event series and then our enterprise data and AI event series. 
And those have been, uh, the AI and government's been going on since 2019 and enterprise data and AI has been going on since 2020. So, you know, quite, quite some time now we've been doing that. And we've heard, I mean, the government obviously and public sector continues to struggle with private sector salaries and attracting people. And so they have to go off, uh, you know, things that are not uh, salary related as to why people would want to work in the public sector. But in the private sector, we hear companies that are still struggling. And everybody always likes to say, well, you know, jobs like Amazon, the Fangs. And we were at Remars back in 2019, so before the pandemic, and even Amazon was telling us they were struggling to find people. And we're like, well, if Amazon is struggling to find people, what's everyone else doing? So just the incredible growth and demand and very, you know, uh, somewhat sudden demand for data scientists really was coming to the forefront in those, you know, years, like we said, 2012, but really up, up through 2019, really just really big growth. So um, in one of the websites, we were taking a look to see sort of how that job data science job role sort of continued to grow. And what you'll find is if you look in recent uh, job surveys and you look at various job posting sites and the stats that they put out, that demand for data scientists, basically COVID resets the demand for data science jobs. So it's not that there's a lack of demand now. If you're a data scientist, you're still in a pretty good place. But the growth in data science jobs basically halted uh, the first quarter of 2020. And one of the sites, if you go to IT Jobs Watch, they publish a really interesting um, survey here of, da of data science jobs. And, and they showed the, data, the growth of data science jobs as a total percentage of all total job posts, right? And what they saw was that in, and they measured both permanent jobs, obviously, you know, being an employee and being a full-time employee person working for a company. And they also measure contract positions, you know, temporary or, you know, project jobs. And what they saw was that in the first quarter of 2020, the uh, permanent job posts for data scientists flatlined, started to uh, hit plateau, and the number of contract jobs went up significantly. So people started to move, realize, well, I do need data science, but I'm not going to be hiring for that position full time. And so the rate of job growth for data scientists actually stalled and started declining. So we saw a, de a, a steep decline. Uh, in data science job posts, the, the, the tail half of 2021, there was a bit of a spike kind of in, in, in 2022, but now kind of we're hitting some economic headwinds. So I think if that graph continues past where we are, we'll see another return back to that, which means that uh, we're sort of past the, the, the high rate of growth phase for, for data science, which is interesting because that's what we said about AI in the last podcast, we've sort of we're past a uh, high rate of, of hype on that as well. We're plateauing there. So it's very, very co uh, coincident with that. Well, there's, it's not just that these are not just economic factors. There's actually a lot of reasons why the, the, the job for data scientists itself is starting to hit that maximum level of saturation. And there's a bunch of reasons that are all related. Exactly. So, I mean, we mentioned earlier that data scientists are just hard to find. Even the companies that can afford to pay for them, it still is hard to find. And then coupled with that, they also are expensive. So not everybody can afford them. 
So, you know, those are two additional factors. And we've said it on previous podcasts. It's always worth noting, again, you can't code academy your way to data science, which means that you can't take a, you know, multi-week course and then think that you will come out of this as a data scientist, be able to demand those high salaries and go right into those positions at various companies. We've heard this from employers, many employers. So this this is something that is going on as well. And if you can't, you know, get caught up and, and brought up to speed very quickly, then you know, by default, it's also, it's going to be hard because it's taking years to train these data scientists before they're able to really hit the job market. Yeah. I think we heard this on our podcast. I think Vicente, Vicente Del Pino Ruiz at uh, United Health Group. Uh, we've heard it, I think, on a few others where the problem is, is that you might have someone who sort of emerged uh, learning the fundamentals of data science. So they may not necessarily be full-fledged data scientists, but maybe they know Python, they know R, they know, you know statistical techniques. But the problem is, is that the experience that they have is very limited and it's limited to mostly toy problems. They've never worked in a large enough environment with enough bad quality data which is the honest part that that they've that they've had to deal with the challenges of of doing their job given all the realistic problems that data scientists have to face. So if you want to hire someone that you want them to be effective at their job, you don't be like I'm going to let you learn on the job for a year, that's probably not going to be good. You want to hire a data scientist and say okay, well maybe you'll give them a month or two to get acclimated with the environment or whatever, but you want them to start producing stuff. Well, if they're struggling with 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 the the fundamentals of like I've never really you know, did data scientists in an organization with petabytes of data distributed and all these different systems and dealing with data problems, ingestion, quality, blah, blah, blah. Employers don't want that. So the actual number of, of skilled data scientists is a very small pool, and it will take many, many years to really develop a large enough pool. So what that's actually pushed is, is uh, companies have problems to solve. And if you don't have enough good quality data scientists, what do you resort to? You resort to basically tools and technology that can substitute for skilled people. So there's this concept called the citizen data scientist, which is someone who's not really a data scientist by role, by title, by experience, certainly by skills, but they have like a need. They're maybe a business analyst or a, a BI person, business intelligence, or maybe they're even in a line of business. Like maybe they work for marketing or sales or finance or logistics. And someone said, I need you to build a model. I need you to do something that I would otherwise require a data scientist to do. Well, they're turning to tools like AutoML tools, some off-the-shelf models, perhaps that they can just use like a language model or a, you know, rent some model from, you know, any cloud company that can do kind of what you want, get you most of the way there. Do they have the skills to retrain that model? No. <laughs> do they have the skills to, you know, come up with the, build a model from scratch and do hyperparameter optimization? Probably not. Probably not. But but it's, it addresses the pain point that if I need something to make it work, I need some predictive analytics thing, I need some recommendation system, I need some recognition system, I need a conversation system. You can, you can solve a lot of those problems in a, in a flash uh, without being a data scientist. And that, of course, has offset a lot of the demand for data scientists. So while the, the role of data scientists will never go away, for sure, it's, it's uh, going to continue to be a hot role. Um, 
it's looking more and more like the data scientist role will become more and more specialist, that instead of an organization needing to hire dozens of, of data scientists, you may have a few handful of data scientists that serve many, many roles. You know, uh, I don't think the data scientists will never necessarily go the way of the lamplighter. You know, <laughs> like, you know, we went to elect since we switched to electric lights, you don't need someone actually lighting candles or gas. But but it feels like, you know, the organization will have a handful of these specialists and therefore probably won't be the sexiest job title of the 21st century. Exactly. Right. We're already seeing that, you know, and another another reason to why data scientists are just really hard to come by is a lot of a lot of companies want data scientists to also have domain expertise. So not only just be good at, you know, the data scientist role, but be able to have industry knowledge and domain expertise. And that just comes with time for the most part. And so when Ron was talking about, uh, we also had Vicente at uh, an enterprise data and AI event. And I can link to that in the show notes if you'd like to watch that. He was saying that it's hard to find these people. You know, you can't code academy your way to that because you need to have you need to have that industry knowledge and domain expertise, and also that when you have when you work on these toy projects, it's not providing that, and it's not providing what data looks like in the real world, which can also you know be a challenge when you suddenly throw somebody into that position and they're like, "Well, my data was clean," or "I didn't work with data like this." Um, so n- another thing to point out. Yeah. So if data science, so if we look, especially since, you know, COVID years, especially since 2020, what has actually been the fastest growing tech occupation that's relevant to the AI tech ecosystem? Well, it turns out it's data engineering. If you look at sort of like the the fastest growth in terms of year over year growth, uh, actual job growth, people being hired and that sort of stuff. We'll talk about where demand is next, but the, the actual growth is happening in data engineering. And uh, we just had a conversation at our enterprise data and AI event, uh, which we had yesterday. These are all uh, available. We're trying to take as many notes as possible to make sure that all the stuff goes into the show notes. But <laughs> but uh, you should we should watch the enterprise data and AI event with Srini from um, uh, Hanover Insurance. And uh, he was talking about the fact that for every one or so data scientists, they actually have more data engineers. I forget the exact ratio, but it's more data engineers than data scientists. And that's because moving data around is very important and you need data for multiple things, not just you know machine learning engineering. So uh, it's very important. So we, so data engineering is the was right now the, the fastest rate of growth with some ridiculous rate of growth there. Um, and, and then also just to chime in on that too, Ron, that does not disagree with what we have said in years past as well, where if you look at the makeup, you will have more data engineers than data scientists on your team. And we've said that in previous podcasts and in previous research that we've done as well, which, you know, makes sense when you think about what it is that you're doing and what needs to be done. So that it's just in alignment with what, with what our research has said as well. Yeah. And sort of the rest of the AI ecosystem that are not data scientists, you have, of course, machine learning engineers, you know, managing AI models, building them, doing ML ops or DevOps, all that stuff you got. And of course, the big thing that we're going to be talking about is you have project managers. Now, these are folks who own a particular product, if you want to think of it, you know, whether the product is a, is a report or the product is an actual thing that's going to be shipping to the customer, or it might be you're responsible for managing customer support application or something, whatever it is. The thing is they want to use AI within the context of the problem they're trying to solve. They're not 
technology specialists. They're not even domain specialists in terms of the specific, you know, application area, but they're, they're focusing on that one project. And it turns out that is actually where most of the heavy lifting is. The reason why we've been spending so much time talking about project management lately is because it turns out that the project managers are doing almost all the heavy lifting for making AI systems work. So whether you're a project manager by role or by title, or even just in terms of what you do, that is where things are happening. I think the an additional part of the ecosystem that we're just now starting to see more attention focused on are architects, data architects, and enterprise architects. I have a personal soft spot for enterprise architects. I'm a big fan of enterprise architecture, and I believe that an organization that actually knows what their various systems are doing and has a plan, <laughs> rather than just buying a bunch of stuff and throwing it all together and hope miraculously that something comes out of it, enterprise architects are on top of it. But we know that enterprise architecture is, is itself a very specialized discipline. You will never have tons of enterprise architects. You probably shouldn't because you know, every architect has their own opinions. So, but you need to have it. So data architecture, which is sort of a subspecialty or a difference between enterprise architecture or information architecture, you might see that term as well, IA, perhaps is a forgotten part of the AI ecosystem. But as a matter of fact, we're starting to hear more about it. And so we might start talking more about data architecture and enterprise architecture in the context of AI and advanced data systems. So given all this, Given the reality, is data scientist really a sexy job title in the 21st century? Not really. But I will give Tom and DJ credit and say it was definitely the sexy job title of the past decade. Yes, it absolutely was. And we agree with that. Sometimes we understand, you know, you want clickbaity titles so people will read it, have to be a little bit bold. But in general, we always want to be realists and we say, yes, data scientists, that was a very sexy job title. It's still going to be in demand. But what is the next decade looking like? Uh, we don't think that it's going to be the sexiest job of the 24th century, nor do we think it's going to be the sexiest job of the next decade. Yeah. So there's an interesting group of people we haven't talked about, <laughs> and that's the so-called C-levels, the folks who have chief in their title, right? And there's a whole lot of them, of course, you know, top of the organization, if you're in a, an enterprise as the chief executive officer, but you also have, in this, but you'll also see even in the government titles like chief innovation officer, chief technology officer, but relevant to AI is this, these titles that we, we have seen, not only seen, but we've interviewed here on AI Today. We've also had them present at our various event series with titles like chief data officer, even chief AI officer, or chief data and analytics officer, CDAO, or chief, I think as one as chief digital and analytics officers, lots of variations to all that sort of stuff. And, and the thing we have to ask is, is um, you know, there are some very powerful people in these positions, but are these titles real? As in, do they imply what they seem to imply, which is that if you are a chief data officer, are they really the chief of all data? Are they, are they really putting together the strategies for managing data across all the enterprise? Or you know, is it more of a signal, you know, to the market that they care about data or, or something like that? Mm -hmm. And um, these are- And also, do these titles have actual authority or are they more of that, you know, figurehead title where you're just saying, okay, well, we have a chief data officer because we, you know, see data as a strategic asset or we want to 
do something. And so we we created this position. And actually, in our last enterprise data and AI, if you're listening to this, we're uh, you know, recording in early June. So it was our our June enterprise data and AI, June 2022. We were in agreement, you know, the presenter and the audience, what are the conversation that we were having was very much in alignment and chief data officer specifically, you know, this is a relatively new role that's been created. I think that organizations are still trying to figure out what that role means and how it best fits into their organization. And maybe a few years ago, people were in that role for two or three years. Now it's six, nine months and they're leaving, which means you're really not doing much. You can't establish much if you're a chief data officer for six months and then you leave. So understand that as well. What is the goal that you are trying to do when you put these roles in place? And how are you going to accomplish that if the people that are filling those roles are only there for six months? Yeah. We know that actually some of our listening audience have C-level titles. So this is not even like a generic statement. It's not saying, oh, all C-level titles are, are, are useless. That's not, that's not true. I think the point that we're trying to make is that there has to be some sort of authority or some sort of real guidance that needs to happen at this level in order for it to be valuable, right? Because you know that that's the the position you need to be in. And and I and I think sort of like our, our final like sort of little note here, this is especially even for folks in in positions where there can be some real liability or, or I should say some some not you know danger when it comes to mishandling data, whether it's issues of data privacy, issues of data bias, issues of models just going off and doing the wrong thing. I mean, there's examples in literally every industry of something going wrong. We're going to revisit this in our failure series because uh, we're seeing a lot more of these failures recently because people are just are making mistakes. And these mistakes don't come from bad technology. They come from bad governance and bad policies and bad practices and bad processes. And a lot of it comes down to methods, which has to do with what people do and how they spend their time, not, you know, uh, a particular product. You can't salt, you can't product your way out of this problem because it's not a product problem. This is a problem of somebody here uh, mishandled data. And the next thing you know, uh, you have to take down your, your system that you were using for login because someone said this was facial recognition. And there's issues now because you're using some facial recognition database, which nobody knew about. And now you have the Congress asking questions, right? That's, and that's a real situation that happened. So, um, so, so, if we, so if like the C-level really isn't the sexy title and data science really isn't the sexy title, we talked about how data engineering is, is becoming particularly hot. It's interesting because what we're starting to see as like the sexy job title really revolves around the folks who are making AI work. And I don't think you should really hear it from us. There is a survey that was out there that, well, we'll talk about and that where they surveyed employers as to what jobs are in demand in terms of what they wish they had. And you may be surprised or maybe you won't be surprised by the results. Right. So we wanted to make sure that we were looking at relevant data. So this is from mid-2021. So, you know, very relevant, that post-initial COVID surge era uh, where things started, you know, to level out a little. And what we found is that... Um, you know, software developers and software engineers is the most in-demand role, but the second most in-demand role was project manager. And that was great to see because we continue to talk about how important that role is. 
And so it was nice to see that that is the second most in-demand job. I mean, on this list that they published. So so the uh, they, but just before you get into it, like, so this is not us. So we didn't publish this research. This comes from research firm Burning Glass released data from its survey of current tech job demand in the United States in mid-2021. So they published this. I don't have the exact date. They published it in mid-2021. So about you know, six to nine months ago, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, they published what the in-demand jobs were. And uh, as Kathleen mentioned, number two in-demand job was project manager. Exactly. And like I said, we were very excited to see that. Now we always, because, you know, we're saying that the project manager really ties it together. They need, they're in there, they're, they're managing these projects. They really need to be understanding everything that's going on. And it's nice to see that more organizations are understanding that and filling, you know, putting job recs out and filling that role. So yes, like Ron said, this was research from Burning Glass, not not from us. So from from another uh, party that did this and they found project managers. And in particular, it's really not just, you know, random project managers, but certified project managers. And the reason that certified project managers is important is that you understand that they have a baseline fundamental understanding of how projects need to run based on the certifications that they have. So you, un- so that, you know, they have gone through training, gone through certification and can go in and really hit the ground running with what needs to happen. Right. And, you know, project management as a discipline has been around for a long time, as long as you've had projects. And you may or may not be familiar with an organization called PMI, Project Management International. They've been around since 1969. And project management is not even a, an IT thing. Project management happens whenever you have any project to manage. As a matter of fact, in some very non-IT disciplines like law or, or healthcare or construction. You know, if, if I told you that your responsibility was to build a shopping mall and you had to think Think about, uh, sorry, Project Management Institute. Thank you very much. Uh, the the if you had to build a shopping mall, you know, think of all the things you have to do. It's not just the building part; it's the permitting part and the facilities and and you know the utilities and all that sort of stuff and environmental. Having some sort of skill to know how to do all that sort of stuff is important. And if you were hiring someone, if you're in the construction business and you need to hire someone to manage these projects. Having someone say, oh, yeah, I'm a PMP, project management professional, it kind of indicates, okay, well, at least they have some basic thing. Now, of course, in IT, you don't want the same thing. If you're responsible for handling a large project, you don't want someone who who's just going to build something in the most random way. There's demand for certification there, and there are certifications for IT project management across the board, not even data or AI specifically, just running software projects, whether it's agile methodologies and various different approaches there. But the same thing is now being said about data and AI projects, because data and AI projects, as we talk about all the time (laughs) in our podcast, are not the same as generic IT projects. Planning how to deploy servers uh, or to handle your network infrastructure, or if you're doing software development, building an app is not the same thing as basically trying to wrangle all this crazy data that is not clean all over the place, probably doesn't have what you want into a model that itself is highly probabilistic and continuously changing. You can't use the same methodology. You have to, if you do try to to use some non-data specific methodology, you end up trying to 
add all this stuff to it. Well, that's reinventing the wheel. As of course, you know, we will talk about best practices methodology. That's the CP for AI and data projects specifically. That's CPMAI, Cognitive Project Management for AI uh, methodology, and um, you know, related methodologies which build upon approaches that have been around for decades. You know, Crisp DM, for example, and Agile that have been around. So uh, we're glad to see that the industry is realizing the importance of this job title. And just saying, if you have project management in your role or your title, that's the second most in-demand job right now. So uh, feel a little bit good about yourself. And if you don't have that as your job role or job title, well, it's, it's one of those things that you can build your way into. And of course, getting a certification would help a lot for your credentials as you try to get those uh, get those in-demand jobs. Exactly. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know we're advocates for best practices, methodologies. It's incredibly important. In particular, we're advocates for CPMAI methodology. I will link to that in the show notes if you're interested in learning more, but you can also go to cognolitica.com slash CPMAI to learn more about it. Hopefully today, you know, it's really gotten you thinking. We wanted to talk about job roles, the changing job landscape, in particular for data and AI, what we're seeing, what's out on the market, are the conversations that we're having with our customers, with people that are taking our, our, uh, you know, methodology training and certification, with the speakers that we're having at our events, are they all tying together with surveys and other data that's out there? And so that's what we really wanted to talk about on today's podcast, specifically about data scientists and how we are seeing the, you know, most popular, sexy job changing into this decade. Uh, As always, we encourage you to reach out to us. We have really enjoyed the listeners that have engaged with us so far. As we mentioned, you can email us info at cognolitica.com. You can go to our website, C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com to reach out to us. There's a few different ways you can reach out there. There's some forms that you can fill out or a chat feature, as we mentioned, but please do reach out to us. We love to hear from our listeners. We love to hear what's going on, what resonates with you. If you have uh, ideas for upcoming podcasts, topics you really want us to dig into, absolutely reach out to us. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today on your favorite podcast platform. Also, make sure to rate us. We love we love five-star ratings, and we love to hear what our listeners have to say in the reviews. We do check them. So as always, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and check in for the next podcast that we have coming up. So thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. 
Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. Bye.